Okay, anybody got anything to say about what we read? About what we've been talking about? Everybody understand? Anything we don't understand? How could you dare lay that baby's hair down? Send Brittany a picture and look what happens when you leave, when you leave it with Mimi. <laughs> All right, so so far, so far in chapter eight, which we've took a long time in chapter eight. So once we get this one done right here today, we're gonna start ramping back up and do a chapter a week probably. So we'll get done sooner. I just took a long time with chapter eight because it's it's kind of an important chapter. It's kind of a lot going on in there. So. What, uh, so far I got like eight things on my mind. So if I've seemed distracted, I'm sorry. Um, what's going on in chapter eight so far? We have learned that there's no condemnation in Christ. We've learned that we're still going to go through suffering. You know, it's, it's not like now that you are victorious over suffering, that means that you're removed from suffering. You still, the whole creation is still groaning. The whole creation still suffers. And you're, you'll suffer. Not When I say suffer, I'm not talking about just being all depressed and down and, you know, whatever. You're still going through life. Your body is, your body is getting older and dying. And we're still going to get sick. And, you know, all of us one day are going to end up in the hospital unless Christ comes back before then. Um, so we still live in this world of suffering. But we also saw last week at the very end that God uses all our suffering for good. Remember Romans eight twenty eight that says, you know, uh, what does it say? I'm so scared of brain right now. It says, it says uh, all things work together for good. For those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. So all the suffering that we go through is not to be compared to the, the glory that's going to be revealed. And the sufferings that we go through now are being used by God for our good. So this is the final. This section right here is, is to, uh, verse 31 through 39 is, is uh, Paul's conclusion of all the things that he's talked about in uh, chapter 8 and it's culminated chapter 6 and 7 too so this right here is the the final this is what all he's been leading up to this is the conclusion of all his arguments so he says so what shall we say to these things the last thing he said before uh, last week was what 29 and 30 where it says where it says, was 28, 29, and 30, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That means all things, even bad things. Those are called according to His purpose. Um, because those whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And it says, moreover, those who he predestinated, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. So basically what he's saying is that even all the bad things that go on in your life, they're working for your good because God's will is for you to be conformed to Christ's image. And more often than not, it's going to take some suffering. It's going to take some pain. It's going to take some hard lessons for you to be conformed to God's image. We talked about that last week because... I don't know about you, but for me especially, 
the lessons I learn the best are the ones that are hardest on me. You know, when I get when I get good and satisfied and fat and happy and just don't have no cares in the world, I tend to get lazy and I tend to get, you know, move away from God rather than go toward God. So it says, okay, so if God is for us and all these things are working for our good, all the sufferings that we go through, all the things of this world, all the persecutions, all the deals, all this stuff in the world that are happening to us, if all that's working for our good, it says, so what What shall we say to these things? It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what it's saying there is God is in control. You know, we've, we've saw that from God works all things for our good. God is the one who foreknows. God's uh, predetermined that all those who believe in him will be conformed to his image. And he uses suffering to do that. So if God is for us, what can be against us or who can be against us? So think about that. Is there anybody against you if you're a believer? Yeah. Who? Like who? The devil. And who else? Non believers, the world. You know, so you've got plenty of people that are actually against you. But what is it trying to say then? If it says, what do we say to these things that all things work together for our good? If God is for us, who can be against us? What is that trying to, what do you think that's communicating to us? Yeah, that God, if God is in control, and He is, I'm just using the if. If God is in control, and He is, that everything works together for my good, and it does, the things that are actually supposed to be against me are actually working for me. Okay? Now, that doesn't really make sense, but to flesh that out, think about this. Think about something that's probably touched all our families, like, I don't know, cancer. Okay? Eat cancer. Cancer is something that you feel is against you. Like people, you know, you don't want it, right? It's like, it's affected my life. It's going to kill me. It's all these things. But how can cancer be for you? How can it work for your good? And I got, there was a guy named John Piper that had cancer. And he wrote a whole book about, it said like, don't waste your cancer. It's for God's glory. You know, and he had it. So, I mean... There's people that can corroborate this. I've never had it, so... And I'm not saying that if something bad happens, I'm going to be just jumping for joy, like, yay, I'm getting conformed to the image of Christ. You know? I'll be grieved just like everybody else. I'll be scared just like everybody else. I'll be worried like everybody else. And that's the point. God uses those things to make me so afraid that I have to trust Him, to make me so worried that I have to put all my faith in Him, that I have to lean on Him, that I have to do those things. That's the point. So what it's saying here, if God is for you, if God is on your behalf, if God is on your side and He is in Christ, if God is, if God is for you in working all things for your good, then there is nothing that happens to you or nothing that you go through that doesn't pass through God's hand first. See what I mean? Make sense? No, don't. Y'all look at me like, no, don't make sense. Right. Okay, so look. Satan was against Job. Right? Y'all ever read Job? It's a crazy book. Satan says, I'm going to go and I'm going to just make this dude's life miserable. I'm going to take everything he's got. I'm going to destroy his life. I'm going to do all these things. Right? But he could not touch him. Could not do anything until what? 
until God said, okay, now you can go. Said, you can do all that stuff you want to, just you can't take his life. You know, and God let Satan do all that stuff to Job, and it was for his purpose. And at the end of the book of Job, Job's a really long book. So if you if you read through all the po- poetry and all the stuff going on in Job, at the very end, God reprimands Job, saying, "Hey, Job, I'm God, and I do what I want to do." But at the very end, God rewarded Job by giving him double everything that he had. So in the end, Job. Ended up better better off than he was, but more importantly, he had a better understanding of who he was and who God was. And he had a closer relationship with God at the end of the book than he did at the beginning. So, what, what the point of all this is that your joy in Christ doesn't come from the fact that I'm healthy and I'm happy and I'm rich and I got all this stuff and everything's fine. It comes from the fact of knowing that even though I struggle and even though it looks like everybody else is doing better than me or even though everybody else is healthy and I'm having all this trouble or even though I'm going through all this suffering, I know that in the background, because based on what Scripture says, God is working all things for my good. And therefore, even in the midst of the darkest suffering, even in the midst of the darkest times, even in the midst of, you know, when tragedy strikes or when bad things happen, you can know for sure that God is using it for your good. I can't think of, well, I guess the best example is, y'all ever heard this lady? I mean, she's real famous. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata is her name. She's in a wheelchair. She's a paraplegic. She's that lady, she's a Christian, but she's that lady that paints pictures with her mouth, you know, and she, uh, she ha- she's like, you know, has this ministry where she sends wheelchairs to the, you know, to the other countries. Well, anyway, she was like, a, when she was a teenager, she dove off into a river that was shallow and, you know, cracked, paraplegic, rest of your life, you know, can't move nothing here up. And that's horrible, it's awful, and it's a bad thing. But what she said, I'm going to tell you her own words. She said that the wheelchair has become her crown in Christ. Because without it, she would never be as close to God as she is. She would never have such a, a close, dependent relationship on Him. And she testifies all over the place. She speaks all over the place. If you look up her name, she's written books and painted paintings with her mouth, you know, with a brush in her mouth. And I mean, she's super famous, so you can find information about her all over. But that's an instance where you've got a person who, I mean, can you imagine when you, some of y'all are still young, you know, like early 20s. Can you imagine like when you were 16, 17, and then all of a sudden, boop, no more walking, no more using your arms, no more rest of your life. I mean, you just... I mean, that would be cause for me. I can put myself in that position. That would be cause for me. It's like, why are you doing this to me, God? I, you know, why are you causing me all this suffering? All these other people are a lot worse than me, and they're getting to walk around. They're getting to do their stuff, and here I am. I'm just a teenager, and I'll never walk again. You know, that I can see myself being in that mindset. And, you know, I'm sure she probably went through some of that. But, you know, now she, her testimony is that she would not, she would not trade the wheelchair and her relationship with God to be able to walk and take all that for granted. Okay, that's what she says. So you see how it says if God is for us, who can be against us? So basically, 
paraplegic and wheelchair is something that we look at and we say that is a, that's against that's fighting against her normal happy natural life right but for her that's how God used that's what God used for her good to bring her closer to him to bring her closer with Christ make sense y'all with me so what I'm saying is I'm not saying that you're not going to go through times of grief and times of worry and times of things when tragedy happens you know I'm not saying you're not going to go through what everybody else in the world would go through when something like that happens but what I am saying is that we have an assurance that nobody else has that there is a God you remember what Romans 3 told us if we're not in Christ God is our enemy But we have an assurance being in Christ that God is for us. And everything that happens, nothing comes to me that does not pass through God's hands first. And it's being used for me to learn. It's being used for me to grow in Christ. It's being used for me to, you know, get closer to God. Um, So, everybody understand? Any questions? No, I won't say none. No? Anybody got a good example? When you went through something, some of us haven't been through much trial, you know, but that doesn't mean it's not coming. I told, you know, I was walking out of the hospital with somebody and we had visited somebody and he said, I don't even remember who we were visiting, but he said, man, I sure, I hate hospitals. And I was like, well, well, you better get to liking them because you're going to end up in one sooner or later, unless you die in a car wreck or suddenly or you will be in the hospital one day you know they may send you home like to go die in your living room or whatever but there will be a day that you will and i will be too we're all headed that direction our body's dying or everything's decaying so even even though it seems like especially for young folks it seems like oh that's all good i got everything under control there's gonna be a time when your body's decaying and it's dying and it's it's basically killing you and so for me, I can remember, I'll just give you a quick example. I'm going, I'm going way too long, but I can remember the exact spot I was in. I was in, I was going to UT Martin when I was, was probably 22, maybe something, 21. I can remember the exact spot I was in. I can remember the exact thing I was studying at my desk in my room, studying microbiology. And I hated, you know, back then I was not a Christian or whatever. And I was studying this stuff and I was thinking, you know, why are you, why are you even microbiology? Who cares? And then I was like, why are you doing this? And, I, and I, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm doing it to pass the class. Well, why do you want to pass this class? Well, duh, I need to graduate, you know. And, well, what's so big about graduating from college? You know, all this is going through my mind. I had a lot of time on my hand. And, and I was like... Well, I need to get a good job, you know. I want to get a good job. I have a degree, get a good job, whatever. Well, what do you need a good job for? And I was like, well, I want to have, you know, insurance and family and, you know, live a comfortable life. Huh? So we're not thinking of that. That's what I was saying. He was bad. enjoy you know what I mean I don't have to work until I die I want to retire and just whatever right and then I then a thought hit me it was like 
why don't you just skip all that and do whatever you want right now? <laughs> I said, okay, that's a good idea. And for the next 10 years, I went completely insane. I mean, completely insane. And the reason that I did that, the reason I did that was because for me, at that moment in my life and my thinking, the only option is death. You know, you can do great all through your life and bang, you're going to die. <laughs> or you can do horrible all the way through your life and bang, you're going to die. So whether I worked hard and I got all this stuff and I did my best and I got a big house and a boat and whether I did all that stuff or whether I lived in a shed, you know, and didn't do nothing, is going to be in the same way. I'm going to die. So I was like, well, why am I wasting time? I'm just going to get out and let's, you know, let's, let's, let's go live it up because I ain't got long. But see, I didn't have this hope. See, now, because Christ saved me, I understand that even I'm not wasting time going, working and going through stuff and having things happen to me. That's preparing me for my relationship with Christ. I don't have to I don't have to see the end of at the end of my life as being, you know, well, I didn't do all I wanted to do and I messed everything up and I should have did this and I should have did that because that's not the end. God is just preparing me now through all this suffering, through all the things the creation is going through. He's preparing me to be in communion with him forever. You see how, see what a hope that is rather than just, oh, I'm just going to die. You know, was, that was like that, that little feeling of hopelessness is what sent me clean over the edge, you know. But there's so much hope knowing that even the bad stuff I go through now is God working to make me like Christ. It's work, he's working, he's for me, therefore nothing in this world can be against me. Nothing is working against me. It's all working to make me like Christ. Even the bad stuff. And then Paul's proof is, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Basically what, it, what he's saying there is that if God loved you enough to give you his own son, how could you possibly think now that he is, doesn't love you enough to take care of you, to, to give you all the things that you are, need to, to grow and to learn, to be more like Christ. And, and can, I mean, can you imagine a father or a, a grandfather and, their, and a child, you know, can you imagine him giving everything he has to save the life and then have no interest in how the life, you know, works, how, how it grows up. I mean, you got deadbeat dads and you got all that stuff now, but can you imagine a dad giving everything he has, everything he possibly has to see that this child is alive and then for the rest of the child's life, hands off, like taking no interest, like I don't care what happens to him. You know? I mean, it's inconceivable. It's saying if God gave his own son for you, it says, how, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? And then here's where we get to an important part about you need to understand that this thing you've been given, this salvation you've been given, this relationship you have with God, it can never be dissolved. It can't be dissolved by you. It can't be dissolved by anything you do or don't do. It can't be dissolved by any forces on you or out in creation somewhere or ghosts or angels or demons or you know you, you think of the most fanciful thing you could possibly do. nothing can get in the way of the relationship that you have with God it says 
Y'all just interrupting time fuel. So it says, uh, where am I? 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You know what elect means? Chosen, God's people, you, anybody who's in Christ. It's saying, picture yourself in a courtroom. And what it says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. You remember what justifies means? Justifies? What does it mean? Y'all going to talk to me one of these days. Justified. If I'm justified, I'm what? Yeah, you're you're declared not guilty. You're freed from the condemnation of your sin. You're saved. Any of those answers will work. Justified is made righteous in Christ. So it says, who who can who can charge you with sin? Because it's God who's justified. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again. Think of yourself in a courtroom. I mean, even now as believers, like, let's get past, pass up when you were saved and you were declared righteous. Let's talk about right now. Let's talk about right now that you're a believer. Right now, you've got accusers. That's what the word Satan means, adversary. You know, and so you've got somebody that's accusing. Revelation said that Satan stands accusing the brethren day and night. You know, you've got your own conscience, your flesh inside you that accuses you all the time, all the time. But imagine yourself in a courtroom and you've got God, of course, he's the judge, the father's the judge. And you've got Satan, the world and your flesh accusing you of all this. Well, did you see what Jason did yesterday? I mean, surely you can't let that go. I mean, surely, I mean, you're God, you can't let that go. No one can bring an accusation in that courtroom because the judge has already ruled not guilty. See what I mean? I don't know if any of y'all have been to court, like real court, not like traffic court. But, uh, when, when, when somebody, when, you're, when not guilty is declared or, you know, or when a sentence is passed with mitigating circumstances or, or whatever, that's it. There ain't no more, oh, we got some new evidence that we want to, it don't matter. The, if you've, like, if, you, if a person murdered somebody and the, the, the jury found them innocent and they can't be tried for the same crime again, it's it. You know, it don't matter. No matter what they find, no matter what, once the verdict is rendered, it's rendered. So therefore, all these little things, that Satan, your mind, your flesh, the world, they will accuse and they'll say, yeah, but you're not good enough. You're not doing good enough. You're not, you're not, you're not this holy Christian person. You're not, the, they'll bring all these accusations. But Paul is saying here, look, those accusations don't hold weight in God's courtroom because God is the one who justified you. The judge himself says, I'm the one who justified him. So they can't even bring accusation in my courtroom because he's been justified. And how he's been justified, no one can condemn you because it's Christ that died. That's how, that's why no accusation can stick. But most of the time when we get accused by the flesh, world, and the devil, we let that affect us. We let that, you know, we let that mess with our mind, mess with our heart, you know, like maybe God don't love me as much now as he, you know, maybe I, maybe I've lost some favor with God. Maybe I've lost God's blessing. Maybe I've, you know, all that stuff is irrelevant. You are seen as perfect in Christ. He's justified you and no one, no thing can lay a charge against you 
because of what Christ did. Christ died, yea, rather, he, this means He is risen again. And now He sits at the right hand of God, who also make intercession for us. That's a lot right there. He rose again. His resurrection proved that the Father accepted His payment. So that's, what, that's why it's there. It's saying He died. So He died for you to pay for that sin, but He was raised again. And that proved that the Father accepted His payment. So I have proof. I have proof that I, in Christ, stand justified that no accusation can come against me, no condemnation can come against me. I have proof, and that was because Christ rose again. The Father accepted accepted His sacrifice and raised it from the dead. And right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God. That was a term used of power and authority. He's at the right hand of God, and He's making intercession for us. When it says intercession, what is intercession? Is what do you think? I mean, we've talked about the Spirit's intercession already, and now we're saying Christ intercedes. So if I'm going to intercede for Bruce, what am I going to do? You're going to talk. I'm standing in the gap for him. I'm going to stand up for him. Christ is now the right hand of God. He's our high priest. How did the high priest intercede for the people in the Old Testament? That was his job, was to intercede for the people. He would bring what? He would bring what? He would bring a sacrifice for the people. So how is Jesus interceding for us with the Father? He's bringing it every day. Every day. So his intercession is, think of it like this. Accusation comes... We know that we've been justified and Christ is at the right hand of the Father going, I died for that. I died for that. No, I died for that. He's presenting that sacrifice to God. His intercession is not just, well, God, you know, just give them a chance. They might, they might work it out. I don't know. No, no. He's saying, no, look at my sacrifice. I gave myself to the Father. He stands there for us, interceding for us. Now these are probably the best, some of the best known scriptures in the Bible. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember, we've been talking about suffering in this life and all those things. It shall, all this is suffering. Shall tribulation, somebody name some tribulations. What is a tribulation? Not a trick question, huh? Yeah, trouble in life, hardships, tough times. It could be anything. Distress, that's what's in your mind, mental, I don't feel good, I'm depressed, I'm angry, I'm whatever. Persecution, people from outside. I mean, you don't understand, Jason, I just don't have enough to eat. I'm struggling just to get by. You know, nakedness is being destitute. It's not just like walking by the mirror and saying, dang, you know. You know, it's like, God can't love that, you know. It's not saying that. Nakedness is like being... Being destitute, being, you know, not enough money to clothe yourself or whatever. And peril is the danger, just the dangers of life. Like, you know, that can't separate you from the love of Christ. Or the sword is execution. You know, being executed. Losing your life. So look, none of these things can separate you. The point he's making is the point that we've seen for the last two weeks. That all the junk that we go through in life is not... 
is not the factor that determines whether God's favor is upon me or God's blessing is upon me. The only fact that determines that is whether or not I am in Christ, whether or not Christ has died for me, whether or not I'm a saved person or a lost person. It has nothing to do with the circumstances that I find myself in. It has not, If a tornado blows down my house tomorrow, that doesn't mean God somehow now is angry with me and he is, uh, you know, doesn't love me anymore and it's not my father, my loving father anymore. I mean, that's part of creation. That stuff happens. You know, not to say that bad things don't happen as punishment for sin, but what I'm saying is it's always, even if it is, even if it is because I have sinned, it's always out of love to put me back on the path of righteousness. It's not out of, I am throwing lightning bolts at you to punish you for your sin. See what I mean? Everybody understand that? Okay. So none of that stuff can separate us from the love of Christ. What do you think love of Christ is? You think it's just like, oh, sweetie, I love you. No, it's yeah, but is it just like Christ's fuzzy emotional feeling inside of him for me that he loves me? Huh? Yeah, it's his promise of what? What did he promise? Is this an easy one? God so loved the world that. Yeah. First John says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave his son. Yeah, gave his son for us. So none of that stuff can separate us from that love. And then Paul quotes, this is Psalm 44, 22, in case you want to look it up. And it says, as it is written, he's quoting from the psalm. He said, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now. In the passage that he's quoting from, God has released himself from the people. He's, he said, you know what? Forget y'all. I'm gonna turn y'all over to I'm gonna turn y'all over to these foreign armies because y'all have defied me. Y'all have done all these things. And the psalmist here is crying out, saying, God, how long are you gonna be angry with me? He says, Don't you see what's happening to your people? You've turned us over to like sheep at the, at the slaughter. And in that passage, in that passage, it's like God has said, You know what? I'm done. My hands are off of y'all, and y'all are just gonna get fed to the fed to the deals. And so Paul is quoting this. This verse because people think that when I go through these things, oh, God's doing the same thing. He's done put his, took his hands off me and he's done sent me to the slaughter. He's done sent me off to, to you know, whenever, for example, tornado hit my house. Well, God don't love me no more. He's done. He's done put his anger on me and he's done. Let me let me go. God and all this stuff. And and Paul is saying here, no, that's that's not the case. It says in all these things, we are we are more than conquerors. We are not sent off without God like sheep to the slaughter. It says we go through these things as victorious over them already. Why? Because God is using them for our good. You see what I mean? So in the fact that whether I have tornado or cancer or whatever, I am not somebody who is just left to suffer through cancer or somebody who's left to suffer through a tornado knocking my house down or left to, you know, whatever the tribulation may be. I am more than a conqueror. I'm already conquered it because I know that God 
is using it for my good to conform me to Christ. Make sense? So I'm more than a conqueror. The word there actually says hyper conqueror. You know, hyper conqueror. Like, that don't impress y'all as it did much as it did me, but, you know, like, it's pretty hyper, hyper Nike. That's not really how you pronounce it, but that's where we get the word Nike, in case you didn't. Okay, never mind. Anyway, so it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Anybody notice the past tense right here? What does that mean? We, we are more than conquerors. We're not... Okay, here's the stuff. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We're not sheep led to the slaughter to these things. But in these things, we're more than conquerors. But we're more than conquerors through Him. Past tense that loved us. How did He love us? Yeah. He's talking about the event. He's talking about He loved us when He gave Himself for us. When He put Himself on the cross. When He allowed Himself to be crucified. When He allowed Himself to be to be sacrificed for our good. So when, when we're talking about this love of Christ here, we're not talking about just, oh, sweetie, I love you. We're talking about what he did for us, that love that gave himself for us. So it says we are more than conquerors. We're not, if you, you go back and read Psalm 44, it's really, really, I mean, it's kind of depressing. But... Paul is saying, look, all this stuff is happening to you, but it's not because God has left you like sheep going to a slaughter. He says, no, in these things, you're more than a conqueror because of what Jesus did for you. And it says, Paul, last verse, last two verses, Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities, let's take them one at a time. Death cannot separate you from the love of Christ, which is the love of God, which is in Christ, which means his salvation, what he did for you. That that special relationship that you now have with God through Jesus Christ says death or life. Okay, so no matter how long you live, no matter if death is coming tomorrow, it cannot separate you. Okay, angels or principalities. Nothing in the supernatural world. There's not no demon nowhere. There's not no angel nowhere. There's not any supernatural force anywhere that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It says no powers, which it could be supernatural. Or I think more likely it's like people in authority, like governments, rulers, you know, that kind of thing. None of them can do anything about it. And then just in case there's something we miss, it says there's nothing right now, present, nor things to come. Now, you don't understand when Jesus comes back, the world's going to change and it's going to be all different. No, it says there's nothing right now and there's nothing that's to come that can ever separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. And it says nor height nor depth. And what that means is like there's no location. There's nothing down that we hadn't discovered yet at the bottom of the ocean that's going to be able to, you know, I'm just, I'm just making stuff up. But, you know, just to be able to come out. Nothing at the highest peak. There's nowhere, nowhere, nothing on this planet in any space or any location that's going to, oh, we ain't discovered that yet. And this is going to separate me from God. There's nothing like that. And it says, just in case I might have missed something, it says, nor any other creature, which is the word meaning creation, 
right, shall be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, tell me something that is not God that has not been created. Just let's think of something. Is there anything besides God that has not been created? Can you think of anything? I can't either. If, if it's not God, it's part of creation. That's the only two possibilities. You got what God created, and you got God. That's it. You know, I mean, even stuff like time and space and matter, I mean, you can get all, you know, scientific, crazy, whatever. It's all created. So if he's saying there is nothing in this creation that can separate you from your salvation, from the relationship that you enjoy with God through Christ Jesus. There's nothing in this creation. I mean, that is grounds of assurance that, I mean, you just can't, you can't I, I can't even fathom. Can a tornado, is a tornado creation? Is disease and sickness creation? Is... I mean, I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm such a baby. I'll go asking God why if I lose my car keys. You know what I mean? Like, why are you doing this to me? I gotta go. You know? It's all right. I ain't done one. Come on now. Some of y'all have done that too. But it's saying here that all the suffering that this life has to offer, all the things that the creation. I mean, it's groaning, it's, it's travailing, and it's pain. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's not a good place right now. But none of that has anything to do with our relationship with God. None of that has anything to do with God's blessing and favor on us. Because even in the bad things, God is blessing us because He's making us more like Christ. And that's God's will for you. That you be more like Christ. He don't, don't care if you're happy and rich and healthy and all those things as much as He cares that you be like Jesus. You love like Jesus. You think like Jesus. You serve like Jesus. You act like Jesus. You are in relationship with the Father like Jesus. And, and that is His goal. So all these things that happen, you will, in the course of your life, you will ask why. You'll be like Job and you'll say, why is this happening to me? I'm telling you right now why it's happening to you. If you're a believer, it's happening to you to make you into the image of Christ. No matter what it is, you can safely say, when people come, you know, this is some, this is some good counseling you're getting right here. Because people come, they'll say, why did this happen? You know, and you can talk about some horrible things. You know, I've seen parents lose children and, you know, I'm just... And if I if that happened to me, I would not be like, well, it's okay, you know, Jesus is I'm just because I'd be grieving like everybody else. I'd be going through what everybody goes through. So I'm not saying that you know you should just suck it up and take it, you know, when something really bad happens. But I'm saying you'll go through all those things. You'll go through the grief. You'll go through the the asking why. You'll go through the the worry and the heartache and just the hurt of all all of. Uh, the stuff that the creation has to offer. But in the very back of your mind, there's got to be a settled, a settled joy knowing that even though all this is happening to me, nothing can separate me from God and He is working for my good. He is working for my 
conforming to the image of His Son. I saw a thing the other day about... Man, what was it? Maybe it was one of the... I don't remember. I don't remember. But it was a wife who who had uh, lost her husband... And it was in like some kind of, I think it was a plane deal. It might have been one of the Malaysian planes that blew up or disappeared or something. I don't remember. But she gave this big long thing and it was posted on a, on a deal about how God is in control. And that God, she is joy and you know, waiting to see Him again. I mean, it was just amazing. I'd be like, I'd be like why have you done this to me? You know what I mean? And she was just so... It was just amazing to me that somebody could be that way, you know. And this passage is its one that, that brings hope when there ain't no hope. And it's one that brings assurance that no matter what you do or what you don't do or what happens to you, nothing can separate you from your relationship with God. Period. And that's indisputable. A lot of people want to argue eternal security, but... I mean, I've gone, we've gone through chapter 8, verse by verse, line by line, and we've looked at exactly what everything means. We hadn't took anything out of context. And it's saying, it's saying that there is nothing in this creation that can separate you. Okay? Everybody understand? Now, next week, we're going to start going faster. I'm going to do all of chapter 9 next week, all of chapter 10 the week after. I just wanted to slow down on chapter 8. Just because it's so important. There was so much in there. You know, so much to, to glean it. Everybody good? Anybody want to say something?